All right, lots happening, including uh, a man in U.S. Uh, custody responsible for killing uh, a lot of people on board a plane going back 34 years. Uh, Captain uh, Ken Bombay's, of course, Global Threat uh, Solutions, uh, his company, a military veteran-owned security investigations uh, firm. Headquarters are right here, folks, in Suffolk County. They have offices as well in the city, Miami, L.A., Frankfurt, uh, and uh, Mumbai. Global Threat Solutions uh, CEO Ken Bombay's 21 years of law enforcement intelligence experience served as a military intelligence officer uh, in the Middle East uh, back in the day. Contact Global Threat Solutions, the company just focusing on so many services provided for peace of mind in uncertain times. GlobalThreatSolutions.com. You can make a phone call, 646-946-6649. The aforementioned Captain Kim Bombay. Sir, how are you? Thanks for being with us on a Monday. That was interesting news over the weekend. Scotland, 34 years ago, that plane, Pan Am Flight 103. We'll never get that flight out of our heads. You know that? Welcome. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know. Go ahead, my friend. You able to hear me, Jay? Yeah, I got you. Loud and clear. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame that most people have forgotten about this incident until yesterday. Uh, yeah. We, we had – go ahead. A lot of students on board. we got a little bit of delay. I know it's annoying, but a lot of students on board that flight. I think I heard 190. Cap, if I have that number right, 190 of those individuals uh, killed were students. Go ahead. Yeah, hundred. That's how how many it was two seventy total were killed. Uh, you got me, Jeff. Yeah, I got you. We got a little bit of a phone problem. <laughs> I'm going to shut up and you talk because we got a little bit you of want- an annoying delay. But give me give me your thoughts as far as everything involved in that. Then I'll chime in. How's that? Right, right. Okay, so like I said, you know, we had two hundred seventy people killed. I re- I remember I was a young infantrymen when this uh, took place only for about six months i was 18 and so many years later we have so much in our plate internationally speaking right now people have forgotten about it until yesterday um it was the deadliest terrorist incident in on british soil and as we know this was targeting the u.s we had uh, i think over 30 syracuse university students who were traveling back after a semester abroad who were all killed and it's a shame that it's easy to forget these things until they, they jump back in our radar. But it's this is great because I think it's a sign. It tells all these bad actors out there that no matter how many years it is, how many decades it is, we're still looking. We're still trying to bring these people to justice. And they can never really relax. We will find them eventually. And I think this is a good testament to that. I think it serves as a reminder to all Americans about the threats we face also. You know, it's very easy to forget about these uh, incidents like this one. But when you have right now such a porous border and so many, you know, record number of people on the terror watch list and threats crossing that border, an incident like this that's brought back to our to uh, our attention, it's I think serves uh, serves um, as a reminder to us of what the threats can be out there right now. Yeah, it really does. And, uh, you know, it's such a credit to the agencies involved. And we've seen this before in other situations. Uh, The let-up is never in play. Uh, The constant 
uh, situations as far as, you know, monitoring. You know, we talk about it all the time. And uh, once authorities were able to kind of zero in, uh, they got this guy. You know, and, and there's a lot of questions right now as far as, you know, the help involved and whatnot, or the countries involved, and oh, Iran is being bandied about as far as their situation and input-wise regarding this. Uh, so there's still a lot in play. They have the guy as far as the uh, the individual who carried out the attack, but I'm sure there's more information coming into play here. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and this is actually the third suspect who has been who we've attempted to bring to justice. As you know, in 2001, we had uh, Al Magri was convicted of this and served almost a full life sentence in prison until he was uh, diagnosed with cancer. They let him out for the last few years. And then there was another individual, um, Laman Khalifa Athima. He was actually um, he was actually acquitted of these charges and is still free at this time. And now this is the third person right now that we'll be bringing to justice and trying to convict. In fact, he's going to show up in court today. Yeah. Uh, no question. We're talking with the Captain Ken Bombase regarding uh, the Libyan intelligence official suspected in the UK's deadliest terror attack plane bombing more than three decades ago in custody, folks, as of yesterday. Cap, I'm going to have you call back, okay? Let's see if we can clear out the line yep. a little bit. It's an annoying delay on there. So, man, we're going to have the Cap call back. We'll recap here regarding uh, the individual arrest for allegedly helping make the bomb that blew up Pan Am flight to 103. It was over Lockerbie, Scotland. This was back of uh, folks in 1988, it left 270 people dead. The plane was en route from London uh, to New York when it exploded, uh, killing all those on board and 11 others on the ground, by the way, in a small town near the the border with England. And again, victims of the attack included 190 Americans, dozens of whom were Syracuse University students flying home for Christmas after uh, spending a semester studying abroad, as well as citizens from 20 other countries. Uh, as well there. So we're talking with the captain. We have the cap back. So let's get to him. Uh, so uh, pretty much uh, that's where we are at, noting this individual who was taken into custody two years, uh, cap, after authorities charged him in connection with this massacre. Uh, he was being held by living authorities at the time, and now he will appear in the nation's capital federal court. Uh, that'll be today's the third Libyan intelligence official charged in this attack. Would be the first, though, to stand trial. Am I correct? As far as on U.S. soil here. Yes, the other uh, individual was convicted, but not here. I believe that was in the U.K. And he served a full life in prison, except for the last few years where he was actually released due to, you know, the fact he was diagnosed with cancer and, and they let him live the last few of his, uh, his years in freedom. Now, there was another individual, too, Laman Khalifa Fima. He was actually also, in 1999, was extradited with Megrahi, and he was actually acquitted of the charges and is free today. And this now will be the third individual. And, you know, Jay, there are going to be challenges. I'm sure we don't know all the information, obviously, that the Justice Department has for this case. But, you know, there's some... His defense is already talking about the fact that he was 
uh, there's a lot of discussion of him being kidnapped and possibly by a warlord or a militia over there, and that's possibly how we actually gained custody of him. So, you know, that obviously makes for uh, prosecutorial challenges when trying to convict him right now because they're going to say that he was um, he could possibly be coerced to have given an, an uh, admission of guilt. So we'll see how that moves forward, but I'm sure we have a lot of information. The U.S. government has a lot of information, and and the U.K. investigators that, that we're not aware of yet, and that we're going to see start to trickle out as this case moves forward. Of course, as mentioned prior, if there are Iranian ties here, <clears throat> you wonder uh, how U.S. reaction will be, especially in trying to, you know, kind of reignite the uh, Iranian Contra talks. So we'll see how that fares, but that's going to be another uh, interesting component as we kind of move on with this case if there is any alignment as far as Iran back into this uh, uh, bomb uh, that hit this plane, Cap. Yeah, I think you might see information come out like that, uh, that that Iran possibly had some involvement. They're obviously a, a state sponsor of terror, probably the largest state sponsor of terror right now. So um, I see, I know I've watched some of the family members who have been interviewed, and obviously these family members, although this has been pushed back in distant memory for us, it's, a, it's an issue of great importance to them, and they've been in contact with prosecutors and the U.S. government, and they seem to feel that there's uh, an Iran, Iranian connection, which would make a lot of sense. Um, and you're right, let's see what we, how we move forward with that if that does come out that there was direct Iranian involvement in this case. Captain with us, Ken Von Bass, the Global Threat uh, Solutions. Uh, let's move to Ukraine, topic two here, uh, regarding uh, they're working to patch up sections of its power grid. The Russian missiles, we know they are on the attack as far as uh, hitting those uh, situations at hand. Transmission of electricity and everything else here, very, very intense uh, stuff going on right now. This comes as the president and uh, the Ukrainian president Zelensky spoke yesterday to discuss the attacks and now more efforts to strengthen the air defenses of Ukraine. I know Zelensky cap thanked Joe Biden for the additional uh, millions. I think it was 275. Uh, you're talking about 16 billion dollars, give or take, already in play here from the U.S. to Ukraine to secure. Uh, so uh, that was in play yesterday, from which the Pentagon announced on Friday, as well as for the wider unprecedented U.S. support of Ukraine's sovereignty in the face of this ongoing invasion, which took place back on the 24th of February. So, you know, that's the thing in play right now as far as uh, Russia, the power grid, Ukraine, and more support coming from the U.S. of A. Cap. Yeah. That's right, Jay. We have uh, what we're seeing right now is a few different things. One of them is they're waiting. Ukraine's waiting right now for the ground to actually freeze, and they're going to be able to continue a larger scale count, um, counteroffensive against Russia once that happens because of the heavy equipment that they have to move in order to do that. Um, Kiev's force forces they've launched attacks. They continue to launch it in limited ways, uh, missile attacks and counteroffensive against Russia. Right now, as we've discussed in the past, Russia's using winter as a weapon, something that we've seen throughout history. And the way specifically they're doing that is, like you just mentioned, they're attacking their power supplies. 
And, and you know, it's going to make for it. They want to make this such a long, miserable, uncomfortable winter that this would break the spirit of the Ukrainian people. However, with that being said, Russia has clearly, Jay, adjusted their objectives since the beginning of this invasion. And now what they're doing, their objective, is to just maintain control of the areas that they've taken and not lose those to the Ukrainian counteroffensives. Um, and that's, the, that's their main objective right now. Another critical, um, you know, it, by hitting, with the way they're targeting these, this energy infrastructure over there is using missiles and also drones, which we've seen. I know they've received uh, uh, many U- Iranian drones, and they've been using that to target the energy infrastructure. And it's really a race right now. Ukraine repairing these and getting power back up and before uh, Russia hits more sites and more sites. It, we're going to see this type of race go on throughout the winter. And like you mentioned before, that's just how much the U.S. has dedicated financially in support for the Ukrainians. There's also the EU and other allies. So, I mean, you know, the Ukrainian economy is broken right now. It's really the West and other allies are supporting Ukraine in this conflict against Russia. And it looks like we're going to be nearing a, a year soon, Jay, since we've been talking about this invasion. And there's really no end in, immediate end in sight about it uh very alarming stuff and no one inside folks as we are embarking on 10 months 10 months and uh massive problems here and then of course you got nuclear weaponry and the threats of putin and russia so we'll see how that goes let's go to story three and that is the border and i look at the expiration uh of title 42 cap on december the 21st uh, which will only accentuate the problem down at the border Uh, big problem here you know you look at certain areas I look at El Paso they're going to have a 40% increase as far as what they're used to Uh, very tough times all the way around it's going to worsen the deluge so to speak this title 42 Uh, once Individuals see that this is happening. More people are going to come in. Uh, you're talking about, I mentioned El Paso, Texas. The policy end of 42 uh, would mean the, I think it's like 1,700 daily border crossings. That could jump to over 23, nearly 2,400 a day nationally, folks. Uh, as many as 18,000 migrants could daily cross into this country. This is very alarming stuff here, folks. Title 42 and uh, 1221 and is uh, coming up upon us a week from Wednesday when this thing expires. I'll tell you, we're already going to set records left and right and get ready now, coming up in nine days, Cap. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to be a huge challenge. Right now, Jay, the border crisis has never been more dangerous. As of today, there's been over 485,000 land border encounters of October of fiscal year 23. That's a record. And I'll tell you, Jay, in October of 22, uh, we had 164,000 in comparison. And in, and in 21, 71,000. These are drastic increases in land border encounters that we're seeing now. And like you mentioned, now we have Title 42 policies set to end in just a few days. And if that's not bad enough, we have members of Congress, we have senators, and all they want to talk about is amnesty, which, which it gives an incentive for more people to flood to the border because they don't want to miss it. If amnesty is going to occur in any form, 
it encourages people to try and get across that border. So we're, we're asking for this massive surge like we've never seen before. And, and, you know, if you listen to the government strategy for the plan for Title 42 ending in just a few days, it, it's just vague. They talk about expedited removals and increased punishments possibly for illegal crossings, additional resources, but nothing specific. Um, you know, Jay, it's not, this isn't really a spending issue. This is a policy issue. We had the border uh, more secure than it's ever been just two years ago. And all we need to do is simply reinstate those policies and we'll regain control with minimal increased spending and within a very short time period we will have control of the border again. This has nothing to do with spending. This has to do all about, has all to do with policy. Yeah. Um, very alarming. More so, you know, I'll tell you another story in all of this stuff is the CPB agents, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Custom Border Patrol agents, uh, suicides for this year, 14, that's the highest in a decade. Um, you know, and according to people very close to this whole thing, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, these agents feel abandoned by this president right now. I mean, you look at our border, the president has overwhelmed the CPB, callously left it to deal with the consequences and everything else. You know, you look at last fiscal year, 2.4 or so million migrant encounters. That broke the previous record, as well as the hundreds of thousands of gotaways those are those spotted but not stopped by these agents. Uh, it is unbelievable here. And, of course, now we have this Title 42, the Trump era rule, that automatically turned back, cap uh, the massive uh, swaths of incoming migrants, and that will expire in nine days. We don't think enough of these agents uh, in charge here, and they just can't deal with this. Yeah. We've seen this so many times before with uh, with the anti-police movement across America just recently over the last few years. And when, when officers feel that it's not just the public, but their own uh, government, their own employers are not supporting them, uh, that it becomes a really desperate situation. And you'll see, unfortunately, situations like this where it's so, things get so bad and the stress level is so high that... Um, you'll see people actually take their life over. These are people who have signed on to, to serve the people and, and sacrifice and risk their lives for us. And when they see that that is not only something that people appreciate, but that they are demonized like this, it's really psychological. It's very hard to handle. And I think that they're also being worked so hard right now because of the tremendous uh, number of people crossing the border right now. It just puts added strain. You know, we've all heard the stories. They're getting air marshals and they're throwing them down there because they just don't have enough border patrol agents. So I think with all the overtime and the hours they're putting in right now to try and secure that border with really no success in sight, I think that really puts a psychological drain on these officers. About it, the cap with us, uh, global threat uh, solutions, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one last thing, topic four, is what's happening in the state of Idaho. I guess they had commencement uh, exercises uh, this weekend. More coming up uh, for the upcoming weekend. And there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure involved here and a lot of uh, cautioning right now, those in the area to stay vigilant, travel in groups, 
during the celebratory period. Why? Because this killer uh, cap is still on the loose. Very frightening stuff. Uh, but this is what uh, Moscow, Idaho police stated on Saturday morning. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of tension right now. The, we talked about the white Elantra, Hyundai Elantra, that was in play here. Uh, as far as the occupants of that vehicle, they need to find out what those occupants might know, if anything. But right now, uh, you have a lot of tensions building Sunday, yesterday, I think it was 30 days as far as when this all occurred. So, uh, in essence, the beat goes on in the state of Idaho, and we don't know a lot right now. That's right, Jay. Since since we spoke last, there are a few changes that took place. Uh, one, one is there's a report of a neighbor that apparently now in the middle of the night says they heard screaming, and, and that's being investigated. Um, we also have a report that Although many investigators were initially thinking that the um, suspects most likely entered to the rear of the house, there's a report now that the front door was found open on the day of in question when this incident took place. So that's something else that they're investigating, either that they entered or, or egress through that front door, possibly, and something they're looking into. And, of course, the white Elantra, which now we have an international alert out to to, to look for this vehicle even at our um, international borders right now. But uh, another thing is, Jay, that, you know, I don't think people realize there's tips coming in and probably thousands of tips coming in, and they all had to be, they have to go through these. We all know that they've put out requests from the public to provide information if they have it. And it can be frustrating because these, uh, they haven't put out a lot of information to the public, but there's reasons for that. And one of them is that, they want to know that these tips are valuable. If they put out a lot of information about what they know so far, a lot of what you end up getting is a lot of just regurgitated information being called back into the police, which aren't really of value. But if somebody calls in with information that the police know and have not put out, that becomes of increased value then because some, somehow this person might have valid information that could actually help move the investigation forward. So uh, not a, a tremendous change since we spoke last, but a few things have come to light since then. Uh, and I still say, and I still contend, monetary rewards are huge. Uh, there's no reason why you cannot put that in play at this point. We've seen it in Gilgo as far as the ante being raised. We'll talk about Gilgo because I always have a December 10th, uh, which was uh, this past Saturday as an anniversary. We'll talk about that during the week as well, but uh, I don't see any reason why you cannot put more money in the kitty to try and get information to find this killer. I think that could be a pivotal situation involved here in this case. We shall see. Cap, uh, I know you'll be monitoring as I will as well as far as this week is concerned. Global Threat uh, Solutions. Go to the website, globalthreatsolutions.com 646-946-6649 Captain Ken Bombay's and his fine company, the 100% military veteran-owned security investigations firm. Headquarters folks are right here in Suffolk County on Long Island. Also offices in New York City, Miami, L.A., overseas, Frankfurt, Germany, and Mumbai as well. Cap, appreciate it all. A couple of minutes, an important event with Lockerbie. Uh, a very, very good situation for a change as far as uh, that individual in custody. U.S. hands right now. Can't thank you enough. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me on.